hey, welcome to church. There are extra points for you in heaven for coming inside on a day like today. So we've been waiting, and I don't know if you've actually checked this or not, but friends, there's not rain in the forecast for like five days straight. So woo-woo. This is the time in the Northwest where we, we like to do church outside. Um, but I am so glad that you're here with us today. I'm glad to be back in preaching today. Uh, it's been a few weeks, and, and you might think, oh, so you had a few weeks to just kind of take it easy. I wish that were the case. Um, I got to write this series guide for this summer. We're going to spend a couple months in the book of the books of Timothy. Um, and so writing those series guides was like writing three sermons in a week, but not getting to preach them. So I hit my head against the wall a few times, um, but we got it done. So excited about that. Also, uh, you know, hope you're doing good and hope you're taking advantage of our invitation to come early and stay late and love well. Uh, we've been doing the one service model for uh, a few months now, uh, really since the surge back in January, February. Um, and it's been great for me to be able to just spend more time hanging out, connecting, having conversations post-service, uh, and not rushing into the next service. So I hope you're taking advantage of that. There are some great people connected every week. We have new faces that come to Crosswalk. I don't know if you realize it or not, um, but we are excited to be hopefully a place where you just sense belonging and love and grace. Uh, if you're new here, we're a church with a one-word mission and vision statement. That one word is to love well uh, because we think Jesus, uh, we don't think, Jesus said, all people will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. So if we're following Jesus we think we should love another, each other well. And like Angela said at the beginning, uh, if you heard, if uh, you were here at the beginning, she was talking about the different conversations that come up when you're wearing Love Well gear. Uh, and I have certainly have had those conversations. I don't know if you've had those conversations. The, the most unique one that I had, though, was at Dutch Bros, where I was wearing my crosswalk hat, and somebody, the, the barista, laughed and said, oh, is that a, is that a joke on CrossFit? Like, you guys don't, you're not cross-fit, you, you cross-walk. <laughs> I was like, uh, no, but, and then I told them it's a church and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so the, the merch does give you some of those opportunities to have conversations, like, what is that about? And, and that, and it's super fun. So love to, love to wear it, but love it as a billboard, too, in some ways. Um, so I do want to mention, though, that if you uh, have been starting to come regularly and haven't gotten involved in something yet, whether you're a part of a connect group uh, that meets during the week and digs a little deeper into the word or uh, connected to one of our ministries, we would love to have you. There's a sign out in the lobby that says volunteer. You can hit the QR code and we'll follow up with you on that, uh, especially in our kids program. Our kids program probably has the hardest time with the one service model because um, they don't always get to come in for worship because they're taking care of the kiddos. So if you're willing, if you love kids and you want to go and play a bit, right? Landon's done it. I've done it. It's fun to go play with the kids some. Uh, you get to teach us, share a story, teach a lesson, do a craft. There's all different ways to get involved, but the kids program would love to have you so that team can grow, especially as we come into summer because we do have some graduating people out there. Uh, whether they're graduating from eighth grade or high school or college. Um, and some of those folks help out in our kids' program, so we're going to need to replace them. Replace them in love. Um, not because, you know, they're not doing a good job. Um, but 
Uh, just a little plug for the kids' program. We are in our fourth week of our Christophany series where we're going through the Old Testament and we're doing it from the lens of the New Testament. We're doing it from the perspective that we have as followers of Jesus that gets to look at the stories in the Old Testament through the vantage point of the cross of Christ. Because when we do that, we recognize, one, that we have theophanies, which are God appearings all over the place. And some of those God appearings are Christophanies. They're Christ appearings. And when we look at it through the lens of the New Testament, instead of this idea of having these two different gods, a God of the Old Testament that seems angry and spiteful and, and ready to you know, zap you at any point of disobedience, you recognize that the God in the New Testament and the God in the Old Testament is the same God, a God of love, a God of grace. So when we read some of these stories and we're confused by what's happening or how could this be the same God, we must ask ourselves the question, what else is going on? There must be more than uh, under the surface of this story than what we first recognize or understand. And this is good, right? Because if we're honest, there are some places in the Old Testament that are really hard for us to spend time with right? They, they're stories we don't want to revisit. They bring up questions that are painful for us, and so we don't like going to some of these places. We don't like seeing where um, God uh, supposedly opens up the land and swallows up people for being disobedient, and we don't like seeing this story of the firstborns in Egypt being killed, and we don't like stories of a flood that wipes out most of the world. These are tough stories to read and tough places to spend time with. But in this series, what I've been learning most so far is that that is also like life. That there are places in our life that are just hard for us to spend time with. Places that we don't want to go back and think about. They're dark places, painful places. But as the stories that we're going through teach us, I think, that even in those places... If we look hard enough, we can find God in those places. And that reframes that experience for us. And that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. Because the question comes is, can we see him? Can we see his works in our lives? And do we believe that he is with us? So with all of that lead in, today's story is an odd story. It's full of twists and turns. And it comes to us from the book of Numbers, chapter 22, traditionally referred to as the story of Balaam and his donkey. And I was practicing all week to make sure that I didn't say another word for donkey. There is another word, and it's appropriate to use in this setting, but I'm going to do my best. There are little ears in the room. So, uh, but... The story setup is like this, to get to our passage today. The Israelites are wandering through the desert, the wilderness, on their way to the promised land, the land that God has said he's going to give them. And as they're going through, they come into the land of the Moabites. The Moabites was a tribe. They were led by King Balak. And Balak has seen and heard what the Israelites have done to the land that they have um, been in, and he doesn't want a thing to do with them, so he comes up with a plan to curse the Israelites and to send them packing. In order to do so, he hires a man by the name of Balaam, or at least he tries to. Balaam was a well-known figure in the area. He's not an Israelite. He was a pagan, a non-believer. He's referred to in these times as a seer, which is like a prophet, uh, but he uses any kinds of supernatural means or uh, speaking to forces of nature to try to 
foretell the future. His occupation is actually forbidden in the law of the Israelites. Many knew Balaam as a prophet who likes to make a profit. Ah, what I did there? Uh, Anyway. Um, And uh, though he supposedly sought divine guidance, his messages were often exactly what his employer wanted to hear. So it reminds me of the saying that if the God you find always tells you what you want to hear, it may not be God that you have found. In Balaam's line of work, he must have heard of the God of Israelites, and he wasn't against adding this God to his resume of the divinities that he talked to and sought guidance from. So, as the story goes, Balaam seeks out guidance from Israel's God, and apparently, God chooses to speak to this pagan of ill repute and tells him not to go and curse Israel. And what seems like an odd turn of events for Balaam's character, Balaam refuses the money from King Balak. Balak's frustrated, offers Balaam more money in hopes to find the right price, and Balaam claims he can't do what the God of Israel tells him not to do, but he'll seek God one more time because Balak is offering a lot of money. So, this is where it gets weird. According to the text, this time, God tells Balaam to go, but only say what God tells him to say. So Balaam goes, and then we come to our passage for today that begins. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. What? Didn't God just say to go, but only say what God tells him to say? Balaam obeys, but then God is angry that Balaam obeyed? What in the world is going on? Did God change his mind? Was God setting a trap? And as if that apparent change in God's uh, command wasn't weird enough, then we find out later in the text that if it weren't for Balaam's donkey, God would have killed Balaam. So is this who God is? Says one thing, does another, allows his anger to to drive him, willing to strike down the disobedient at the drop of a hat? What about the God of love? What about the God of forgiveness? What about the God who is trying to save his creation? Well, again, if we're looking at this story through the lens of the God we meet on the cross, we recognize there must be something more going on in this story than what appears on the surface. So let's try to do exactly what Balaam struggles to do in this passage. Let's try to open our eyes and see what God is trying to teach us. Now, what's interesting is when you study in Scripture about Balaam, in the Old Testament, there's a few good references to him. But in the New Testament, there are no good references to Balaam. Balaam is a shady character, a bad guy. On one hand, he seeks guidance from God. But on the other hand, he's been manipulating people for money most of his whole life. That's what he does for a living. So maybe in this instance, though it appears as if Balaam is obeying God on the surface, underneath that, he has ulterior motives. He's going to do what he can to make a buck, even though it sounds like he's obeying God. It reminds me of God's response to the prophet Samuel when he is told to anoint David as king over Israel. But David doesn't look the part It says, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The prophet Jeremiah shared a similar word from the Lord. 
said, but I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. God knows our inmost thoughts, which is both frightening and amazing to think that he knows that stuff and he still chooses us. He still asks us to represent him, still dies for us. In this story, Balaam was the last person we would have chosen to bless Israel. He was a pagan. He practiced things forbidden by God. And yet God chose Balaam to show us that God can literally use anyone to accomplish his will, even those that don't believe in him, as we will continue to find out in the story. It goes on to say, God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. Here is our incarnation, our theophany in the story, our God appearance. It's an angel of the Lord, so we're not told that it's Jesus, but it is an incarnation of God, a manifestation of his presence. It goes on, as Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Now, I don't know if anybody, anybody ever had the privilege or joy of riding a donkey? Yes? You know, donkeys are notorious for being stubborn notorious for doing their own thing, going their own way, or just stopping and sitting and doing nothing. We have a mini dachshund in our home named Lola, and I'm pretty sure that Lola has donkey DNA. Because there are times when we're going on a walk around the neighborhood, and Lola decides that she is done with her walk. And I can't tell you how manly it feels to finish a walk carrying the dog that you're supposed to be walking. But that's what we get to do in our home from time to time. Because when Lola's done, Lola is done. Um, So the donkey sees the angel, but but Balaam and his servants do not. And this happens two more times in the story. And it's a fascinating play on words in the narrative because Balaam is a seer who can't see. And though donkeys are notorious for being stubborn, it is Balaam who is more stubborn than the donkey in this story. Balaam has a plan, and no rebellious donkey is going to get in his way. And how many times in my life have I failed to see God at work because I wanted things my way, and God didn't show up the way I wanted him to? Then comes another strange twist in the story. After Balaam beats the donkey three times for disobedience, the donkey is suddenly given the ability to speak Because now we've entered into a movie called Shrek. (laughs) Or, I don't know, it's a Muppet movie or it's, it's Narnia. I don't know what's happened. But the crazy thing is, Balaam doesn't even seem to flinch. He just starts talking to the donkey like this is what happens in the world. The story says, then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves you beating me three times? This is a smart donkey. Balaam doesn't miss a beat. He says, you made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. Again, talking donkeys, not a big deal to Balaam. So the donkey tries to reason with Balaam, as all good donkeys do. He says, but I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admits. It's a good point, donkey. It's a good point. 
But then something happens to Balaam. It says, Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Balaam the seer finally sees what's going on. His eyes are opened by God, and he recognizes that he's in the presence of something holy, and the natural response to a theophany is to assume the posture of worship. And again, I think it saddens me to think that in my own life, I'm often too busy, too distracted to notice God's presence and take time to worship. The angel and Balaam have a short conversation where God basically reminds Balaam that he is in control, not Balaam. So whatever Balaam had been planning on doing, he needed to know that God's purpose would prevail even if God had to use a donkey to do it. So this passage passage seems to be about determining who is ultimately in control. Is it Balaam? Is it Balak? Or is it God? Balak wanted Balaam to curse the people of Israel. Balaam wanted to add to his purse. God wanted to bless the people. Who do you think won? King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 19.21, You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Or Proverbs 69 says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. As humans, giving up control is one of the hardest things for us to do. Since we become, go from infants to toddlers, we start asserting our will, our way. It has to be what we want, but the way of Jesus is about surrendering our will and our way to live into his. It's a denial of self, and that is exactly the point I believe God is trying to teach Balaam, Balak, and the children of Israel. When we recognize we're not the ones in control, and when we admit that we don't know it all, and when we surrender to his way instead of our way, then we're ready to receive the blessing. We're ready to recognize how God shows up in our lives. So as I reflect on this Christophany moment, lessons from the viewpoint of Jesus and the cross, I think of four things. I think of how often does God speak and we don't hear. Sometimes we don't hear because we're not positioned to hear, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But sometimes we don't hear because he's not saying what we want him to say. God tries to reach Balaam three times with the angel and the donkey, and three times he doesn't hear him. In the story of Jesus, we find the disciples where God said, Three times through Jesus, Jesus told them three times that he was going to suffer and die, but he'd be raised up again. Three times he told them that, and three times they didn't hear it because they weren't looking for a crucified Messiah. They wanted a warrior Messiah. So they couldn't hear what Jesus was saying because it's not what they wanted. So to hear God speak and see him work, we must be humble enough to accept God's way over our way. And that's hard. Number two, just like in the story of Balaam and the donkey, Jesus chose the most unlikely people to be his messengers. The disciples of Jesus were unschooled, ordinary men that the rabbis of their time passed up because they didn't have what it takes. But Jesus saw them and said, oh yeah, 
I can work with them. Fishermen, zealots, tax collectors. God chose them and entrusted them with the most important message ever shared, the gospel. So when you hear God calling you, don't assume he's made the wrong choice. God can do in you and through you immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. The most amazing thing about his grace is that despite all of our sins and our struggles and our weaknesses, he still chooses us. And similarly, God shows up in places and in people that we would never expect him to show up. In this story, it's through a donkey and a pagan. In the Gospels, it's through a babe in a manger and a carpenter on a cross. And in my story, it's through a song on the radio. It's through the voice of a friend, a text on a bad day. It's through an opportunity to serve, a chance to share a good meal, even being alone in my room at night staring at the ceiling. God is everywhere if we would but have the eyes to see him. So then the question comes, how can we live a life that is more sensitive to God appearing in our lives? We could spend a whole series just answering that question, but it boils down to creating a spiritual rhythm to life. The choices we make either helps us be more sensitive to God's voice or to drown it out. We can choose to invest ourselves in a meaningful community. We can spend time in books and watching movies and listening to music and other things that help us to point our thoughts towards him. Or again, we can spend time with things that drowns him out. As a community of faith, we have the opportunity to help each other surround ourselves with opportunities to encounter the living God. And finally, we learn in this story that no matter how things appear, God is still in control and he desires to bless us. No matter how bleak our circumstances, no matter what we think or feel, God is present and his purpose will prevail. So I want to illustrate that last one with a story. Um, And the story is about my in-laws. Their names are Kelly and Casey. Kelly is my wife's sister-in-law, Casey, her husband. Um, And I know I've told you before, uh, I married into a ranching-type family. Uh, My wife grew up in Wyoming where the ratio to cows to people is like 20 to 1. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And when I say that the ratio of cows to people is 20 to 1, it's also important to note that 9 out of 10 statistics are made up. Um, just, yeah, I'll let you wrestle with that one. Um, but, uh, they, so a ranching family, frontier family, and that my wife married a city slicker. Uh, someone who grew up in the city, who loves all things city, who goes out to the ranch and is as out of place as a Portland trailblazer. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a Blazer fan. It hurts, okay? Uh, anyway. So, uh, but I stick out like a sore thumb. My sister-in-law hit the jackpot. She married a rancher. They have cattle, four to 500 head of cattle, chickens and dogs and all sorts of crazy things out there. Um, and, and that's their life. Of course, when they got married, they had the dream of, you know, we're going to get married. We're going to have kids. We're going to grow this family that ranches together and lives together and does life together. Two, three years of trying goes by, no kids. And so then they start to wonder, okay, well, Let's check out and see if something's wrong. 
Um, you know, and, and so they went through and they did the tests and they came back that it would be next to impossible for them to have kids. Um, they still prayed for a miracle. They still asked God to bless. They still believed that that was possible, but year after year went by and nothing happened. And then they started looking into the alternatives, in vitro fertilization, foster care, adoption, all these other options. But if you know anything about real ranching, this is not a money-making business. You just get enough to get by to the next season. And so a lot of these things are very expensive, and they didn't have the money for it. When they got into the sixth year, the start of the sixth year of their journey is when the real spiritual darkness hit. The struggle was intense throughout the entire sixth year of this journey, asking questions, having doubts. Where was God? Why were they going through this? Why wouldn't God bless them? They thought they were faithful. Had they done something wrong? I talked to them often through this period of time, trying to counsel them, trying to reassure them, but it was hard from my perspective too. Where was God in their story? Where was, where was God? What was happening? At the, about the end of the sixth year, getting ready to head into the seventh year, they got a phone call from a family member who knew of a couple through a strange set of circumstances that um, had gotten pregnant, didn't want to keep the child, but wanted the child to go to an Adventist family. So they started having conversations, but, my, but Kelly and Casey tried not to get their hopes up because they had gotten their hopes up before and nothing ever came of it. Um, but they started having these conversations. It looked more and more like a possibility. Um, so they started to look into the financial side of it. And of course, expensive. I mean, $13,000 just to, to get the child handed over to them. Um, they didn't have that kind of money. So my wife, being a fundraiser, social worker type, starts going to work, and she raises a few thousand dollars, but is nowhere near what is left. So again, Kelly and Casey struggling, wondering what's going to happen, and, and they, uh, Kelly ends up at a lunch with a friend of hers, and they're talking, and the friend asks about things. Well, how are things going? What's going on? And she tells her, and she asks about money, and see, my, my sister-in-law, you know, she doesn't want to put a number out there. She just said, yeah, we have a lot left to, to raise if, if ever this is going to be a possibility. Then her friend goes into the other room and comes out and says, you know, a year ago, my husband and I felt impressed to start putting money away for you guys just in case an opportunity happened. And she reached into her pocket and pulled out a check for over $10,000. What this meant was that a year before this, in the darkest season of their life, God had a plan to bless them, and God was at work when they couldn't feel it, and they couldn't see it, and it felt dark and hopeless. God was working. God was present. God was appearing, but they couldn't see it. Several weeks later, my wife and her sister were in a hospital room, next door to the room where the child was born. Child's born, they hear her cry for the first time, and within minutes, my sister-in-law is holding her precious baby girl for the first time. My brother-in-law had to stay and work the ranch until things happened, and so it was several hours later that he arrived, and they got to sit by each other and hold their precious little girl together, Crocodile tears fell from their faces onto the little one. 
they ended up naming her Evangeline, which comes from the Greek word euangelos, which means good news. And this fall, Evie turned 16, and she looks so much like her mom. But to me, that story and the story of Balaam and the donkey and all this through the series as we're talking about is the God that shows up, the God who promised to never leave us and never forsake us, even in our questions, even in our doubts, even in the darkest of our times when the circumstances seems bleak, God is still there. Whatever you're going through today, whatever you're struggling with today, God is there. He's here. He's in this room. He's a part of your life. And when we come to know the God on the cross, we can look back in those dark times of our lives and we can see that actually we were never alone. God was with us and he was preparing a way to bless us in ways we could never imagine. So if you and I can surrender our will, if you and I can surrender our understanding, if we can surrender our way of things to receive God, to be in a posture of worship, to put ourselves in places to be more sensitive to his presence, we will find him at work in the most amazing and unexpected ways. In fact, we might even find him at work within us. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, Lord, you are always at work in our lives. I believe that with all my heart. And there are times when we need this kind of community to remind us that we are not alone, that you are with us, because there are times when it's just really hard. But you are with us in those moments, I believe, and you give us community like Crosswalk Portland, for us to come together and be reminded that in the toughest of times, we're not alone. We have each other, and you are at work. I thank you, God, and I thank you for the reminder that you can use anyone, even us. What grace, what power, what, what love. Help us as we continue through this series to see you at work, not only all through Scripture, but in our lives, and to come to know the God of the cross who couldn't imagine eternity without us and so you died for us to bridge the gap. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. Help all of us today have eyes to see and ears to hear and as we enter back into worship, help us to lift our burdens and our darkness. Let it go and receive your light, your love, and your grace. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Stand back with us as we worship.